Hi everybody, we have a special, special episode today, where we're joined by the executive team at Tapas Media, one of the largest webcomic publishing platforms globally. Michael Sohn is a VP of content and works closely on the studio side, turning webcomics into TV and film adaptations, and Isabel Castro, a creator-turned-community director, focused on making Tapas a great home for its creators. You don't want to miss this episode because we'll be covering topics such as learning about Tapas' origin story and becoming such a powerful platform it is today, learn about how it's different from Webtoon and what you can expect as a creator when you work with Tapas, get Michael and Isabel's opinions on the recent issues of creator burnout, learn about the behind-the-scenes workings behind a webcomic becoming an original and getting cross-adapted into other formats, and finally, what to expect from Tapas moving forward as it continues to invest in content and creators. Here's Michael and Isabel. Hello, everyone. We have a special edition of Pixels and Panels here. I am here today with Isabel and Michael from Tapas. Hello, Isabel and Michael. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're really excited to have the both of you. Um, let's jump right in, into some intros. Isabel, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at Tapas? All right. Hi, I'm Isabel. <laughs> I first found Tapas as a creator back in uh, 2015. I've always been into comic. I grew up with manga, uh, really huge into that. Always wanted to work on my own comics, but never did because you needed to create your own websites. And I really wasn't into that um, until a friend of mine shared their own series on Tapas back in the day. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I started posting there, was very, very active, um, was posting on Tapas by night and working a very boring day job during the day, as many of us do. And uh, a few years ago, I think almost three years now, I decided to make a change in my life and uh, tried to join Tapas and luckily that worked out. So now I'm the director of community at Tapas. I'm very proud to work with, with a really amazing team of some of them are creators themselves, uh, as well as just lovers of comics. And we're focusing on monetization programs like early access creator bonus program, as well as content and community moderation. And as of recently, even customer service and community original. And within Tapas, I represent the independent creator community alongside Michael. Awesome. And Michael, do you want to give a brief intro of uh, yourself? Yeah, so my name is Michael Sun. I'm the VP of content at Tapas Entertainment. Um, I mainly oversee Studio Tapas, which is responsible for producing our original stories. I mainly handle the business and operational components of the studio, so kind of the more like logistical side of things. Uh, while I have a uh, Gabrielle Liu, who's our editor in chief, and they handle uh, all the creative aspects, so I have to do like the um, housekeeping uh, mostly for my day to day. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, both of you get to work on comics full time. As you were growing up, uh, what were some of your favorite comics? And did you ever have a sense that this is something that you would get to do full time? Maybe, Isabel, we can start with you. Uh, man, I think <laughs> if 12-year-old if me would look at me now, I would be very proud. <laughs> but, uh, no, I absolutely did not think that this is, was this would be something I could do as a job. Uh, I grew up in Germany. Um, mangas literally came to Germany right when I was young. So the timing was perfect. But there were no opportunities in comics. Uh, there are barely opportunities for illustrators. So the fact that we have this ability to work in this industry, help other creators, while potentially still working on comics ourselves in the free time uh, is absolutely amazing. Um, my Favorite comics growing up specifically are Battle Angel Alita. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the comic that really pulled me into the space and made me want to draw myself and is still so influential to me today. Yeah, for me, I kind of grew up reading comics, manga. I was lucky enough to be part of like that initial uh, manga boom in like the mid to late like 2000s or early 2000s I should say you know I grew up on like Rama one half borrowing that from like the library really loving like Inuyasha and I grew up with uh, Naruto as like my favorite of the big three and then I think I was in like high school 
where I started to actually gravitate more towards like traditional Western comics. And that's where I was exposed to um, the Vertigo imprint, which I instantly fell in love with. So stuff like um, uh, Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn. I think that was like a really life-changing experience for me when it came to comics. And then I started reading, uh, you know, from the big two, uh, I actually got started over at Marvel with Marvel Civil War, like Mark Millar, Steve McNiven. Um, and I and I knew from that point that I wanted to work in comics, but I, I really didn't have like a good sense as to how I would go about doing that since I was okay at drawing. I was not super great at writing when I was in college. You know, I was I was teaching a course, a student run course on on comics and at that time, I was doing like uncredited, like freelance lettering um, and, and anything that I could do just to get like my foot in the door when, you know, Tapas as an opportunity came up and, and really changed my life. As you're talking, Michael, Isabel is shaking her head. She's she's writing. Mm -hmm. Michael is great at drawing. So listener, uh, <laughs> I don't know how much you should believe of what Michael is, is saying, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about sort of the story. You know, Isabel, you talked about I was a comic creator. I didn't want to make a website. And we know, you know, back in the day, you had to create your own site. You relied on people finding out about your comic through web rings. And what Tapas provides is incredible. Anyone around the world can come on and share their story. And it's not like you need to work for a big studio in Japan or in New York to get your story out there. Michael, can you tell us a little bit about how you started at Tapas and sort of the evolution that Tapas went through as a company to become what it is today? Yeah, so Tapas was founded a little over 10 years ago, believe it or not. Um, and this was during like the early advent of web comics, I would say, you know, like the main platforms out there were, you know, Drunk Duck, Comics Fury, Smack Jeeves. Um, and like the most popular stuff out there were, were actually being published on probably Tumblr. Um, and, uh, you know, I got the opportunity because, I, again, I was leading a student-run course at UC Berkeley on how to make comics where the co-founder attended one of the lectures. Unfortunately, they they fell asleep during the lecture, but <laughs> afterwards, uh, you know, came up to me and was like, hey, you know, I have this great, like, idea for a startup, and they introduced me to Chang, the other co-founder at the time. And Chang had a really solid vision as to what he wanted to accomplish right out the gate. You know, he he had been exposed to, to manhwa webtoons in, in Korea, and was really looking to build something that um, could empower creators to do what they loved and to focus on what they love rather than focusing on like what Isabel had mentioned, like the logistics of putting together a website, having to market yourselves um, and figure out monetization tracks. And so you really wanted to build a creator first platform. And a lot of the early members of the team were actually creators themselves. And I think that's what kind of led us to creating such a strong creator community and, and really connecting with the creators so that we can learn from them as to like what they were looking for. You know, I think a lot of the problems that initially arose in like the tech field is like a lot of these companies built a product and told users like, oh, this is what you should be using rather than kind of flipping the script and be like, hey, you know, as a creator, like, what do you struggle with the most? Like, what do you not want to do? What, what do you want us to focus on? And I think that was a core part of our DNA. And I think that's what led us to doing like such a great job at a grassroots movement and attracting creators like Isabel um, to the platform. Yeah. So on that note, um, you know, you talked about the importance of working very closely with creators and you have someone, you know, Isabel, you're an ex creator. And, you know, one of the first things you said was I represent the independent creator here. Can you talk us a little bit about, you know, the specifics of how you make sure Tapas is always plugged in to understanding what creators need um, and understanding what you as Tapas can do to kind of progress what, what they can do on your platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the wonderful things that my team gets to do is work very closely with a ton of creators. Uh, some of them just started out, are barely 18 and can sign a contract. <laughs> Um, we have some that are super successful. We have others that are professional artists and illustrators and comic artists, and they also want to do something on the side. So we have a broad spectrum of creators that we're working with and we're talking to on a daily basis. And they will let you know when <laughs> you want something. Uh, that is the really nice thing. We have a very honest community that tells us when something is wrong. We have a Discord with active members that we're always checking out and see if anything is going on that we need to know about. So really having 
open discussion, open communication, uh, creators being able to reach out to us anytime and have access to us anytime. And then it's really not a big problem for us to find out or know what we need to do. Uh, and of course, having creators on the team also really helpful when because when they're publishing and they run into an issue, hey, that's you know best beta testers basically for our product. So, uh, Michael, you talked about how you know, you know Tapas came about a little bit over a decade ago. Can both of you go into a little bit of what you feel has changed? It feels like the webcomic space has gone through a lot of change and. Now people are starting to take notice uh, of how big this this thing is. So maybe Michael, we can start with you. What do you think has changed in the past decade? A lot has changed. Uh, you know, I think in the early days of the webcomic landscape, we saw a lot more. I, I would call them like short form content being very shareable and very popular. You know, like the Sarah Scribbles, the awkward Yetis of the world, being retweeted, reblogged, uh, reshared on, on Tumblr, and that being like the predominant aesthetic and format that most people associated to web comics. Um, and then it's really only been within the past couple of years that we've seen this proliferation in the West, at least, of more longer form, like action fantasy, romance fantasy, modern romance titles really taking off. And it might be because we're, we've been importing so much of it from Korea, but it's also like we've been seeing like an organic movement from like the creator community side as well, especially within like the LGBTQIA mm -hmm. kind of space. And I think it's, it's, you know, very reassuring and, and, you know, very uplifting to see kind of more long form explorations, because I think traditionally we look at long form storytelling as something that bigger publishers like back creators in order to accomplish. And we're seeing like this new generation of creators saying like, oh, you know, like, uh, this is what I want to make. This is what I want to put out into the world. And the other part that I think, you know, Isabella and I have kind of recognized is like the quality of artwork has improved astronomically over the past like 10 years. It It's like a lot of the newer generation creators are born with like a tablet in their hand. And, and it's it's absolutely phenomenal to see. And, you know, it, it keeps us super excited about, you know, what the future has in store for storytelling in this space. How about you, Isabel? As an ex-creator, what are the types of things that you've noticed in the past 10 years? When you think of webcomics, a lot of creators, what they were looking to create was, I want to create the comic that I always wanted to read. So we have seen that uh, over the years, and there are still a ton of creators who create like that. But what we're seeing nowadays, very recently, is creators taking webcomics very serious on a like professional level. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it right, but basically they're taking their IP and their story as an opportunity to build long-term success. Uh, they're looking at professionally published series and they're learning from them. You know, they're figuring out that the first three episodes are the episodes they need to hook their readers. They know how to create episodes that end on a cliffhanger so readers will never stop reading. So these are things that we haven't really seen in the past, like even just a few years back. And we're seeing that more and more, that there are creators who are very seriously, who see their comic as their stepping stone, and they're expecting to make more and more comics and different stories in the future that can, you know, bring them long-term success. Yeah. And kind of like to piggyback off of that, I mean, like the old adage in the webcomic space was, you know, you make a webcomic in order to sell t-shirts. And that was kind of <laughs> like the bread and butter of like the yeah. industry, right? Um, but now we're seeing so many creators relying on the, the series itself as like the main like revenue driver. And like the merch side is just kind of like, you know, a bonus on top of that. And so, yeah, I think we've seen a huge shift when it comes to the types of stories that are being told, the way it's being told, how serious like the creator space is taking it, uh, as well as kind of like the opportunities to do this for either like a part-time or full-time basis. And, and I think that also goes into the aspect that the biggest evolution in the space is kind of like the amount of readers that are consuming these stories. And I think that's been 
a breath of fresh air and, and also a great sign for Isabel and my own like job security, I would say. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear both of you talk about the quality of the story and how that's changed. Because like you said, Michael, it's not just a lot more people are interested in web comics. The quality of what's available now is only mm-hmm. going up. So kind of thinking about the business that Tapas has, you know, we were listening to David Lee, who's mm-hmm. VP of content at Webtoon. And he said, when I think about a good storytelling business, I think about distribution, engagement, and retention. And obviously the thing that makes this possible in Tapas are the storytellers that you have and the stories that they make. So how do you think about your business and how do you use that to kind of think about, okay, here are here's how we approach our storytellers and the stories that they make? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think David definitely hit like the nail on the head when it comes to like those are the three primary components that you know, every company should be paying attention to. And it's also like areas that like investors are looking at, or, you know, the board is looking at. So Tapas is in such an interesting space because we really have like three primary modes of operation. We have Isabel's creator community side, which is like probably like the biggest component of Tapas. And then we have import license and acquisition side where we're taking stories from Korea, China, and Japan, localizing it and publishing it on the platform. And then the third component would be like the original side, which is where the studio is, where we connect with creators in the creator community or even creators from like the, the license acquisition side and make all original stories that publish, put out there. And we also try to um, do like uh, other business opportunities around. Um, I would say that um, because of that, those are really the things that inform kind of like our business decision-making processes. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it always goes back to how do we super serve the creators that that we're working with? It's kind of like the idea that uh, a rising tide kind of raises all boats mm. um, and our main priority. And, and I would say like, I'm kind of speaking on behalf of Isabel here. The reason why we got into this in the first place is to help creators because a lot of us are creators ourselves. And we thought that given the extraordinary financial resources, the technological resources, and like the business acumen that we've developed, we could actually make the world a slightly better place for creators. And I think that is definitely our North Star and kind of what drives a majority of our decision making is like, if we do this, does it make the creators lives better? If we do this, will this allow more creators to do this full time? If we do this, will that create better work-life balance for the creators you know um you know creator burnout is probably like the biggest topic in the landscape right now and and we want to make sure that we're creating a space that can empower creators to actively bring up these topics so that we can also figure out how we can help support them in the long run but uh kind of bringing it back to the original topic yes distribution engagement retention you know we're always thinking about that in the context of you know how does this help the the creators at large on that note, there was an open letter that went around recently mm. where a prominent webcomic creator was talking about the burnout and the frustrations that they had. There's a lot of people that resonated with the message of that. I mean, Isabel, I'm guessing you were on the front lines there as you saw some of that happening. I'm curious, what were some of your takeaways from that? And then what are things that you think uh, Tapas is doing to like basically alleviate or, or make people feel better about you know some of the issues that are prevalent just across the industry? Yeah, I found myself in a really weird situation when that came out, because on one hand, I work in the industry and I need to be professional. (laughs) And on the other hand, I'm a creator and I really feel for the people affected. I understand where they're coming from. I would probably think the same if I was in their position, because I think what what made me upset for the creators was that the open letter really asked for something very simple. Uh, and that was communication on some very basic information about the series they're working with with their partner. And you would think they should get that. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking. And you know, that's it was one of the reasons and I'm not saying this because I work at Tapas. Uh, and I am obliged to say this, but this is the reason why I published at Tapas and really couldn't get a footing on other platforms because on Tapas, I got used to the beautiful features of seeing all my stats in the back end. Uh, and then when I worked as a creator with the Studio Tapas team, having someone to ask and they answer me. So I could never really post on other platforms because I got so used to this. 
you know, on the flip side, as someone who works with creators directly and who would be basically in the position of figuring out a solution if this open letter was addressed to us, not to Webtoons, uh, I also really felt for the Webtoons team. Um, mm. I actually have not yet met someone working at Webtoons, but I've met many who worked at Webtoons and all of them are really they care very deeply for their creators. So I'm sure this really stung and I feel for them because of that. What we do to alleviate this, I think, given that the main complaint, at least based on how I read it, was a lack of communication. As I mentioned earlier, we over-communicate with creators. Uh, the creators we're working with directly have their own Slack channels, their own team to talk to. They can reach out anytime. They have our email addresses. If there's anyone out there that is a tapas creator listening to this, working with us, and for some reason can't reach out, use our customer service and I will get you. <laughs> so, you know, if there's anyone lost somehow, don't worry, we'll we'll pick you back up. And if you have an open communication, things like this really shouldn't happen because questions should be resolved with your partner, which to us are our creators. Yeah, if I can just like quickly add on top of that, um, you know, when the open letter had had been published, you know, I, I think our team was actively looking into it and making sure that, you know, it, it's a it's a really unfortunate thing that that had to have been escalated to like this this public forum. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we looked at it as also like a learning opportunity for ourselves, you know, to reexamine like, hey, are we really doing the best that we can to also help address some of these like anxieties and concerns? And, and I also want to say like there, there are certain things that we do like really well at, at Tapas that mm -hmm. Webtoons also does. And like there are some areas that we have room for improvement on and that Webtoons excels at and also like the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. That being said, I think Tapas and Webtoons are still very much like a work in progress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Webtoons... The, the company has strong roots in, in the Korean domestic market. And sometimes like the infrastructure they've created to serve those creators don't fully address some of the concerns and anxieties that creators from other parts of the world experience, right? Mm. You know, the Webtoons CMS tool, customer management service tool probably comes from like the, the neighbor proper app that's been around for decades, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it predates a lot of stuff at, at Tapas. Um, and, and when we made Tapas, it was all like, built from scratch bespoke. And so we got to address a lot of the anxieties or concerns that the creator community had right out the gate. And it's harder to maybe implement some of those things from an existing product that has been around for so many years and that's to like serve and cater so many different creators, right? One of the things that I would like to say is that, you know, again, I think Webtoons, Tapas, we're both a work in progress and we appreciate that the creators feel, uh, so passionately about both products and both services that they are able to publish these types of letters. You know, I think that what would be worse is if the creative community had like an ambivalence towards, you know, these things. And one thing that, you know, we want to throw out there is while Tapas is like 10 years old at this point, like this industry is still very new to the US and we're still learning how to best approach these things and how to not just take something that existed in the Korean domestic market and just implant it in the West mm -hmm. and assume that it will work. You know, um, we, we really are trying to figure out how can we make a sustainable uh, a product, a sustainable macro economy that can help all creators and readers alike. Uh, and maybe we need a little bit more time to get there. Um, and I think the open letter kind of supercharged those conversations, which is great. You know, I think we should always be open to this type of criticism and feedback. I think the worst thing we can do is is ignore it or the or the other worst part is if the creators don't even escalate this in the first place. But I, I do feel for the Webtoons team. You know, I, I've known David for six years at this point. And I know that a lot of those conversations he really took to heart. And you know, they've got a great team over there that really do create about care about the creators. And so I, I do think we will see improvements uh, on both Tapas and Webtoons, but I do think that it will uh, take a bit of time um, for those improvements to come to light. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't met too many people from any of the platforms, but the few that I have met, you can tell that they do this line of work because they care as both mm -hmm. of you are sort of embodying today. In terms of what makes Tapas special, it's no accident how Tapas is such a massive platform. And Isabel, you touched on some of the things and you did as well, Michael, that Tapas does well 
from a like tech or experience standpoint to make creators feel good about what they're doing. In this you know, world where there's no shortage of different places to publish, what do you think makes Tapas stand out? Why do you think creators enjoy being there so much? Great I think, question. yeah, <laughs> I'll just... I'll just keep harping on the I'm the creator that came here as a creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why I stayed with Tapas, for one, it was the product. Um, but it's also really the community. The webcomic community on Tapas has been unbelievably supportive, unbelievably kind. You know, when you put your own story out there into the world, it can go all kinds of ways. You can receive comments that are extremely hateful or negative or uh, annoying. And when you spend hours or days or weeks on an episode to get it out there and then get a negative reception, that is something that can really pull you down and be very difficult and other platforms have sometimes problems with a lot of negativity and a lot of mm-hmm. entitlement in the reader community and i've never experienced that on top us uh, even now that we manage community moderation and we take a look at comments we rarely have problems with readers being mean to creators and I highly appreciated that, still appreciate it today. So for some reason, the Tapas community is just really wonderful uh, to be around. Yeah, what makes Tapas special? That, that's an excellent question. I mean, if I'm being like 100% honest, I would say like there's not a whole lot that separates Tapas and Webtoons from a technological or even like a, a service perspective. You know, I think we see kind of, you know, platforms like Netflix or Hulu also run into similar things where it's like what they're ultimately offering from uh, a technological perspective or have like a lot of overlap. Right. And so, you know, the thing that I, I guess I kind of come back to it, it, it boils down to like the, the people, whether it's like the, the creators that we're working with or uh, the people that are working behind the scenes in order to support them. Um, I think that's what makes Tapa such a, such a special place. And um one of the big things is probably like the tapas company culture. And I think um, there's this one thing that like always sticks with me. And it's like my favorite story to tell about tapas, which is um, when tapas was first founded by Chang Kim, our CEO, um, his, his daughter Joy was just born. He was building the team. He was raising like venture capital. Um, there was a hotshot designer that that he really wanted to hire in Seattle. So he had to like travel back and forth all the time. He ended up hiring him. Shout out to Darren uh, Kira Hall. He's like one of the best designers on the planet. Um, but on top of all the things that Chang as a CEO was juggling, he always made it a point to get us lunch every day. Um <laughs> And at the time, I was like, so in awe of that, you know, like, here's this guy that's doing like 20 different things every single minute, still got us lunch. And when I asked him about it, he he mentioned that, you know, he always thought that it would be one less thing for us to have to worry about. And that like, really, really stuck with me as like, oh, that is what I point to as like the company culture at, at Tapas. Um, it's this idea that there's no task too small or too large. You know, it doesn't matter what your t- job title is, what your role is if it helps the team, like we're willing to do it. And I think I take a great amount of pride that from the five person startup that we had back in the day to the over like 150 person team that we have now, like that still remains a big part of of who we are and how we operate. And I think that also kind of translated into how our creator culture has evolved over time as well. You know, there are other platforms where it's a bit more, like dog eat dog, where there's like a lot more emphasis around like rankings and, you know, there's a lot more competitiveness. But for us at Tapas, I do think a lot of the creators that we work directly with kind of recognize how amazing this opportunity is. And we're all here to tell a good story and we're all fans of storytelling. And that's why we see so many of the creator community creators and original creators supporting one another, you know, helping them out. And I think if there's anything that makes Tapa special, I think it's that that feeling or that camaraderie that that we've built, and I think that's in large part due to you know Chang, his vision, his, how he operates as a person, and, and I think it also stems from you know Isabel kind of you know leading the charge on the community side and really making sure that the creators felt that. That's incredibly heartwarming, and it's very cool to hear how you feel that today, especially given how long you've been at Tapas. I want to pick both of your brains on the content a little bit. We started by talking about 
how webcomics started as a export from Korea. Uh, and now we're in this interesting world where, you know, we talked to creators that were like, okay, I was a Marvel and DC head growing up. That's where I draw inspiration from. You have people that were like, I grew up in the West, but I take inspiration from the East and they create something new. Basically, inspiration and where stories come from has created this super interesting mix. But as you compare kind of where stories come from, especially comparing East Asia to like maybe the rest of the world or the West, do you see a, a sort of skew in the types of stories that are told or the way that stories are told? Or is it starting to blend together and become like, you know, this just wider range of styles that like you can't really point to where something is coming from anymore, if that makes sense. I mean, and maybe Isabel, we can start with you. Yeah, you know, right now there's a very clear distinction between a series from Korea, a manga, or a more Western style comic. And, you know, there are fans for each specific, let's say, style uh, that love reading one certain type of story. But there are also a lot of people who venture out and they just look for a good story. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see more of a focus on, I want to read the story that I really enjoy, be it, um, you know, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but I love sci-fi and here are amazing sci-fi stories. You know, I'm picking, of course, a genre that is currently super under underrepresented. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I think, uh, I, yes, it's like you said, I believe there is going to be more of a mix. Uh, there is going to be less of a focus on where is the creator employed or coming from or are they independent versus are they working with a studio? There will always be visual differences and storytelling differences, but uh, readers will ultimately choose what they like and they're going to become more eclectic as the quality rises up across the different types of content created. Yeah, to kind of go along with that, I, I think one other thing that we've noticed is that it's getting more and more challenging to put stories, especially stories that are being told today, within very like well-defined like genre parameters. And I mm -hmm. think that this might be kind of the creator community at large looking at like traditional forms of entertainment. And in traditional forms of entertainment, I feel like everything is like very clearly defined in terms of like a genre perspective. Yeah. Like this is where the story is. This is where it belongs on the shelf. Like this is how to find it. And these creators are like, oh, but my story doesn't fit that mold. And, and if no one's telling me what to do, like this is what I want to do. And so, so many of the stories that we're seeing today are these like really amazing blendings of genre and because we work in the digital space, it doesn't have to belong in like one specific section on a shelf. It can belong anywhere. And I think that's been a very liberating experience. And I think that's also why we're seeing such a, a growth when it comes to genre exploration on, on top of us and, and other platforms as well. On that note, I'm sure it must create a challenge in terms of how you think about things from sort of a premium or original story sense for top of studio. Um, and that's because there are so many different stories that you can choose from, and there's so many different audiences that you have. So when it comes to thinking about, okay, what are the stories that would make sense for Tapa Studios? Mm. I know I know a lot of listeners will be like, I want to know the quote unquote secret so that I can <laughs> become a, 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 a premium story. But you know, what are the types of things that you look for? Because I think it's probably really hard to distill, but there might be thematically some things that, that you like to look for. Yeah, I mean, we we can offer like a, a wide array of, of how to get involved with the studio. You know, it just it doesn't need to just be a wholly original, you know, studio tapas production. It can also be part of different programs that Isabel and, and her team kind of operate and run. Um, and I'll let her speak more towards that uh, later. But it, it's interesting, like we, we are always looking for what's next and what's new. And, and it's really hard to define what that is. You know, within even our editorial team, we have disagreements about what that might be. Um, but the one thing that I think we take to heart is that, you know, we're going to be publishing at a minimum one series a day next year, you know, across license acquisition titles, studio originals. And we know pretty well based on like the metadata, like what yeah. stories work, you know, from a genre perspective, from a reader engagement perspective. And while we are super happy to keep super serving those readers with what they want, I think on the studio side, we're very interested in 
producing something new and different that might surprise the readers and show them like what they might not have known they needed. And so, you know, we're always trying to look at things from more of an expansive point of view. You know, even when we do more traditional genres like action fantasy or romance fantasy, we're always trying to look at it more from like, how do we make this a little bit different? How do we make this potentially a little bit weirder? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, one of one of my favorite examples is probably um, uh, a Studio Tapas original called The Sound of Bread, um, mm. which is our take on modern romance. Uh, and so a couple of years ago, we saw this big influx from Korea, which was uh, modern romances, like kind of like a K-drama-esque kind of style and a lot of like CEO romances um, yeah. and whatnot. And when we were doing internal story developments, um, one, you know, uh, one of our great editors, uh, Stephanie, pitched internally this, this concept called Sound of Bread, which is our take on modern romance. It's really about this young adult named Kimmy who has a form of synesthesia where she can hear what she tastes, um, which is kind of like a really unique and kind of out there take on modern romance. I think that kind of captures what the studio is kind of best at, uh, which is taking something that works and kind of uh, crafting it into something a little bit strange and a little bit more exciting and a lot more unique. So yeah, Kimmy is studying abroad in France where she meets a baker named Kale, uh, who's kind of rude and, and kind of aimless in life. Uh, they don't really get along and they butt heads, but he kind of bakes the best bread ever. And she hears like a symphony of music whenever she tastes it. And you can probably already guess what, what happens next in the story. And so, yeah, that's Sound of Bread. I'm going to go check this out. It sounds super interesting. Uh, Isabel, Michael mentioned that you might have some ways for an aspiring artist to get involved. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what that might be? Yes, not as inspiring as Michael's. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So mine is a little bit more technical because, uh, you know, I'm focusing on the creator community, which is a large number of, of artists and authors. So we're trying to make our programs accessible for as many people as possible. Uh, you can actually go to Tapas, click the publish button in the top right corner and go to our creator page and apply to our programs directly. So we're trying to be as low barrier of entry as possible. Uh, so creators can apply for creator bonus program early access. Those are two programs to monetize their own series, as well as Tapas Original that my team works with. Um, now, usually what we're looking for is a certain size of existing following. For a creator bonus program, we're looking for a larger following off-platform, be it on social media or other comic platforms. And for early access, we're looking for a solid following on Tapas. And we are not necessarily doing that to be mean and to cut off the little guy, but because to be able to monetize successfully, you need to have a certain size of a following already. So, um, you know, that's that's really what I can tell creators is if you create something and it's beautiful and it touches readers and you are able to grow and you can use social media to find a bigger audience, we will be able to support you once you hit a certain level. Um, we sometimes reach out to smaller creators if they are already sticking out to us uh, and we're usually telling them we will sign you on, but you're you're going to struggle in the beginning, but we will help you along the way to speed it up. That is certainly possible, but we can't always do that. So uh, in those beginning stages, creators need to find their success. They need to find their voice. And then we can do a lot to help them along the way. Yeah. And like a, a big benefit of these programs is that it allows the community team to get to know all the creators better. It allows us to also, to some degree, like vet them. You know, the thing that, you know, the studio team is always looking out for is, you know, the the the, the three like pillars of, of comic book making is you have to either be super talented when it comes to creative work, you have to be easy to work with. Uh, and three, you have to be able to hit deadlines. And the old adage is like, if you can hit two out of those three <laughs> pillars, you're going to have a job for the rest of your life in comics, hopefully. Um, and so, you know, we really on the studio side rely on Isabel to figure out whether or not these creators have those key pillars and whether or not, you know, they are 
um, going to be escalated to the studio team for consideration for working together because the studio does invest a great deal of financial, editorial, and business resources into those originals. And we want to make sure that we're investing those in the right creators that are, you know, hopefully like good people, you know, exciting to work with and, you know, like good about hitting most of the deadlines. You know, I think we're, we're reasonable um, when it comes to that, that stuff, but yeah, I think it, it's a really symbiotic relationship between the community and studio side. There's a ton of resources that you all offer. I think one that we hear people get very excited about is this dream of getting a webtoon picked up for like a TV or film adaptation. I see that Tapas has partnered with CAA. And for those who are not familiar, it doesn't get more Hollywood than CAA. Um, <laughs> they know a lot of people to turn stories into, you know, shows or films. Can you talk a little bit about how Tapas helps in that process? Because I still think it's mind blowing how, if you think 10 years ago, turning a you know web comic strip into a film seemed like a bit of a pipe dream, but now people from all over the world, like this is a very real thing that they can achieve. It doesn't mean it's not difficult, but it, it's more possible than ever. So can can you both talk a little bit about how Tapas helps there and, and how that kind of works? You know, like you mentioned, we are rep by CAA. They're one of the biggest agencies on the planet and it's great to have them on board. You know, we have a amazing creative development team led by Kevin Nicholas and, and Alex Carr. Um, they're two of the most wonderful people ever when it comes to really championing creators within the space outside of Tapas, right? Um, I'm not going to lie. It, it's a tough space to navigate. You know, and it can be very overwhelming for a lot of creators to go from publishing a webcomic on a weekly basis to entering into some of those those meetings and, and being exposed to, you know, a lot of uh, business and, and legal jargon. And so our goal is to sit down with the creators and get a better understanding as to what success looks like for them, um, what they want to accomplish with their stories. You know, sometimes the creators don't really have an interest in TV film, you know, maybe like their main priority is a, is a print book deal or something like that. And so that informs how we operate and, and kind of how we utilize um, our partners over at CAA. Um, but yeah, it, it's really about making sure that our goals are really aligned with the creators, right? Um, success means something different for, for every single creator. Uh, and it's our job to, you know, with Isabel to get to know the creators, get a better understanding of what they want to do, making sure that they have a realistic expectation and timeline as to what that looks like when it comes to us pursuing those goals. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of exciting things in the works right now. I'm looking at like the date. We're just about to release uh, three new books with Andrews McMeal, which is super exciting. We have The Witch's Throne, DPS Only, and Unfamiliar. Uh, all three of those creators are actually from the community um, mm. and we're able to work with them and, and elevate uh, what they're doing over to, to a print book deal. And, and, and they look fantastic. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of cool TV film stuff that is a little too early to announce, um, but I'm hoping that, you know, those get a lot more uh, solidified and we can announce it uh, very shortly um, because, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. And um, the best part about it is some of this stuff is like very like life changing. And, and it's also part of a fundamental idea that we had from the onset of Tapas, which is we really want the creator's work to work for them in the long run, you know? And I think we're all fans of traditional comics. We grew up on it. I think it's like very heartbreaking to see uh, a lot of the creators that I grew up idolizing having to start these like GoFundMes to, to cover like medical expenses and whatnot. And we really want to create a space where creators are able to build equity um, alongside us and to make sure that in the long run, the work again is working for them, generating, you know, sustainable income, making sure that, you know, we're planning for the future and the TV film book merch, like all those components are contributing to making sure that uh, the stories that we tell are ultimately going to be taking care of us, you know, as time goes on. Um, you know, we have a creator named Vel. I know we're not supposed to play favorites, but, you know, one of my favorite creators, uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, we're working on our, our second series together. Um, and, uh, the first series DPS only, like I mentioned before, has a book deal with Andrews McNeil, um, but is continuing to monetize on the platform right now. And hopefully with the launch of her next title, uh, daughter of a thousand faces, we'll be seeing like kind of those 
revenue streams like double, right? And making sure that, you know, they are able to then take that income and focus even more on storytelling, hopefully tell a third story with this, you know, if all the stars align, uh, I would love to produce, you know, more stories with them. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the idea right now with, with our ancillary pursuits. It's meant to really reinforce this idea that, you know, the work should be working for the creators. I could uh, ask you both questions for another three hours. <laughs> We only have five minutes left, so I'm going to do one last quicker question, hopefully, and then we'll do our rapid fire round. But uh, I know there's a lot you cannot share, and I understand, but I'm a nosy person, and I want to know stuff, so I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, what should people look forward to from Tapas in the next year or so? What will you all be kind of focusing on and thinking about? It can be story-related things or just things that you're thinking about as a platform. Ooh. Okay, big question. You know, for one, obviously, more amazing series. Uh, my team's goal is to figure out how to uh, use our community tab to really push some series and some really exciting stories uh, and community events to our reader community. Uh, I think we have not done enough. I think we want to do more. I am also very excited that uh, we are potentially getting the opportunity to work with some of our Korean creators in the future. That is something that is completely new and untested. Um, that wasn't really possible in the past, but we're starting to see some movement there. Um, so, you know, it's it's really more for me, it's almost more internal. I'm not sure how much will be visible, but for me, the next year is all about working with creators, showcasing to them to the world, and for creators to be able to interact more with their community of readers that they have already built. Yeah, on the studio side, the, the stuff in the next year is going to be super exciting, you know, more book deals, you know, more stuff in stores, more originals. I mean, we've got so much great stuff coming from, you know, the world's best creators. And um, yeah, we got really, really exciting stories that are going to be coming out. And yeah, hopefully, like I mentioned earlier, we can start announcing some of like the stuff on the TV film side shortly and um, hopefully, uh, you know, raise some eyebrows for sure. As I asked that question, I could see the answers bubbling and then a little <laughs> bit of like, okay, we can't say that yet, but see the excitement. <laughs> so uh, it, that's very, very good for all of us as fans. Uh, let's wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. I'll ask a question. Isabel, you can answer first and then Michael, you can go second. Which fictional character best describes your personality? It's a really tough one. I was thinking about this a lot. Uh, I think who I relate the most to is Violet, who is the leading lady from Enjoy the Show, which is an original on our site by uh, the amazing Jenna. I go with Planchette from Unfamiliar by Haley Newsom. They start off as this really shy, unsure of themselves, lacking confidence. But over time, you know, they get to speak up and, and show that that they're actually good at this one specific thing. Um, and so I think that represents kind of who I am deep down inside. <laughs> what are three comics, and these can be uh, web comics or digital comics, obviously, would you take with you on a desert island? Uh, I will take Jewel of the, Jewel of the Sea by Gao Mayo because it's almost completed and I can just read it over and over again. I'm also going to take Natsu Wicked Stepmom, um, which is one of our Korean titles, which just hits my heart so much it's so beautiful and of course battle angel alita because you know i kind of have to it's the best mm. series but only the first nine books i do not need last order i'm, I'm i don't like that one for me I, I had to say the beginning at the end by turtle me and fuyuki uh shout out to G gabrielle who's the editor we're adapting it from this like 12 novel series and i think we're gonna go for like 30 plus season. So I'm going to have a lot of material to work there on that, on that desert Island. Um, the second one, probably I love you Bambette by Tato. Um, it's a really adorable slice of life story that evolves into this really great coming of age story about like anxiety and all the things that, you know, young adults face. And I've read it I think four different times already at different stages of my life. And I, and I find something new to learn from it each and every time. And I think that's really stuck with me. Um, and I know it's a little bit controversial, uh, but I have to give a shout out to a series on Webtoons, uh, which is called Unholy Blood by Lena M. I think Lena's art is absolutely amazing. Um, 
it's super beautiful. I love it to pieces. Um, and I would also smuggle Queen of Gods by Isabel uh, with me as like a fourth secret pick. I like how you broke um, the rules. Nobody has, <laughs> has had the courage to break the rules, but you've done it. So you, you I will, you, you I will it. smuggle it onto the island. Yeah. What's both of your favorite scene from any comic that just pops into your head? I can't. Uh, I can't choose one. It's every comic that I love has at least one. So I will let Michael take that one. <laughs> um, yeah, there's this comic called Juju's Diary that um, is a coming of age. I think I, I mentioned a lot of coming of age stories. I think that's kind of like my bread and butter. Uh, but it's about Juju and her attempts at convincing her mom that they should get a pet, like a adopt a pet cat. And this is like the core part of the story. Um, but basically, the, ser- the series is all told from Juju's POV. And she's like a super, uh, you know, overactive imagination. And that kind of colors the each and every panel where they're like spaceships, like turquoise elephants, superheroes in the background, because like there's a lot going on in her mind. Um, but the season finale is actually told from an older character's POV. And suddenly, like we use photo references and the people are actually pictures except for the main character who's drawn um and it's like this really beautiful switch because this older character is more pessimistic or has gotten like that childlike wonder stripped away from him and i think it's such a wonderful turn and a beautiful artistic expression and it's really haunting and beautiful and so yeah the ending of juju's diary season one is one of my favorite scenes of all time if you could have dinner with the creator you don't know uh who would it be I'm going to cheat a little uh, because it is someone I have technically met. Uh, It's the cow who uh, created (laughs) Magical Boy. I have met him in a live on Instagram, but that's it. But I think uh, hanging out with him would be uh, super fun and we would have a great time. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, I actually just had dinner with with Jim Lee and he was on the bucket list. Um, and I just wanted to name drop that just to make sure people <laughs> understood that I am cool. Um, but uh, I've had dinner with so many of our creators. Um, so outside of that space, probably um, Mariko Tamaki or Rosemary Valero O'Connell. They did Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. And that's on my Mount Rushmore of favorite comics of, of all time. So if I could just get even just coffee with them, that would be a delight. And then finally, if you could have dinner with a fictional character, who would it be? I'll pick four. Uh, the four main characters from Animal Heads, uh, another original. I'm, I'm going to play favorites here. <laughs> I, Sam and Son, uh, they are living uh, a, a rough life. Um full of crime (laughs) so i would like to hang out with them although i do believe it might end up in a shootout so i'll just have to take that yeah my my spirit animal planchette from unfamiliar she's a a food witch so i think dinner would be amazing with them that they would be my pick for sure well michael isabel thank you so much for taking some time to join us today and uh, listener Please keep a lookout for all sorts of exciting announcements from Tapas over the coming months and years. Uh, But Isabel, Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.